Our first reading is from Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 36. A name I always think of with um, sewing pins, Dorcas. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became ill and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood round him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became all over, known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And if you're able, could you please stand for the gospel, which is from John chapter 10, and it starts at verse 22. Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we reflect on your word today, would you open our hearts? Would you... Speak to each one of us and inspire us afresh today. In Jesus' name, amen. The festival of dedication that forms the backdrop in our gospel reading today is the Jewish celebration more commonly known as Hanukkah. The events that it commemorates took place nearly two centuries before, at a time when the land of Israel had come under the control of the Syrian Greek Seleucid dynasty. These rulers began to impose their culture and practices on the Jews, which led to the desecration of the temple in Jerusalem with the building of an altar to the Greek god Zeus. In response, a group of Jews led by Judah Maccabee rose up and defeated the Seleucids. They then cleansed and rededicated the temple, hence the name Hanukkah, which means dedication. In this context, the idea of dedication means to consecrate, sanctify, or set apart for a special purpose. And there's a connection here with what Jesus is saying. Not only does he demonstrate through his words and actions how he's been dedicated for the unique purpose his father has given him, 
but he also explains how his followers, or sheep, are dedicated or set apart through their belief in his words to inherit eternal life. A contrast is made here between Jesus' description of his sheep and the attitudes of the Jews that confront him. This passage is variously entitled, Further Conflict Over Jesus' Claims. Jesus claims to be the Son of God, the unbelief of the Jews, and Jesus is rejected. But we will highlight that at the centre of this passage is the interaction between Jesus and a certain group of Jews. It's important to note that not all Jews oppose Jesus. Later, towards the end of chapter 12, John says that many, even among the Jewish leaders, believed in him, though they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. However, the conflict between Jesus and the Jewish leaders, mostly Pharisees, is a recurring theme throughout the Gospels. Jesus' actions in the preceding chapters are described as dividing people's opinions, with some believing he is the Messiah and some not. Up to this point, according to John's account, Jesus has already turned water into wine, healed the son of a royal official, healed a paralyzed man, amply fed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish, walked on the water, healed a man born blind, and spoke to countless people, preaching and opening up the scriptures like no other man before. And now the Jews come to him and ask, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. You can almost hear the exasperation in Jesus' reply. I did tell you. I did tell you, but you do not believe. That's not to say that when we struggle to believe, Jesus has the same aversion to us as he did to the Pharisees, because he also became frustrated several times with his own disciples for their lack of faith. But he repeatedly stressed the importance of faith to his disciples because he loved them and he knew how vital faith would be for them in order for them in order to endure what lay ahead of them and to complete the mission he had in store for them. That's why he says in Mark 11:23, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. No, it's not just their lack of belief that means the Jewish leaders are as Jesus puts it, not his sheep, but the underlying attitudes of their hearts. In a way, this is alluded to in the first part of chapter 10, when Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. Unlike the hired hands who abandon their sheep to the wolves because they don't really care about the sheep. It's even more evident in the way the Pharisees treat the blind man that Jesus has healed when they summon him for questioning, then dismiss him with the words, you were steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? More subtly, we can see that the attitudes of the Pharisees condemn them when Jesus addresses them at the end of chapter 9. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim to see, your guilt remains. In other words, they have heard Jesus' words and had the chance to accept them, but they still claim to know better. And so their own pride and lack of care for others creates a wedge between them and God which culminates in them attempting to stone Jesus after the end of our passage. Now, this is all quite dramatic, but it does help us reflect on the sort of attitudes that, in a less dramatic way, can either help or hinder us as we try to follow Jesus each day. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's interesting that in some versions it says, 
My sheep hear my voice, and in others, my sheep listen to my voice. Because there's a difference between hearing and listening, isn't there? But I suppose both are important. It's important to hear Jesus' words in the first place, to be able to recognize and discern Jesus' voice, as you might recognize a friend's voice on the phone. But then it's also important to take in Jesus' words, to process them, and to let them transform us and our whole outlook on life. The other thing Jesus mentions is that his sheep follow. Unlike the Jewish leaders, they don't presume to know anything or to deserve anything. They are humble and they let Jesus lead them. From the contrast that's drawn here, drawn between the Jews and the sheep here, we can see that the qualities Jesus particularly wants to highlight are faith, humility, and care for others. If this sometimes feels like a tall order, then it's good that we are also reminded in this passage of God's grace and power. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. My Father is greater than all. I and the Father are one. We've already touched on the healings and other miracles that Jesus has performed so far in John alone. And shortly after this encounter with some Jews, Jesus will go on to raise Lazarus from the dead. By being united to his Father, Jesus is able to do the most incredible things. But performing miracles and doing things has never just been reserved for Jesus. Through his name and in his power, yet always yes, but not always with his same hands and feet. As we hear in our reading from Acts, Peter calls Tabitha or Dorcas back to life in a way that closely mirrors Jesus' raising of Jairus' daughter. And of course, still today, God's grace and power can be seen and felt at work wherever there is faith. Just one amazing example is the Healing on the Streets initiative launched by Causeway Coast Vineyard Church in Northern Ireland, some of whose leaders spoke at the Natural Supernatural Conference last summer. The team that carry out this ministry go out to public places and pray for anyone who would like healing of whatever background. One of the many stories told is a woman in a wheelchair whose legs were paralyzed and who they prayed for. After a while of praying, they asked if she could feel any change, which she couldn't. And after praying a while longer, she thanked them and left with her husband. Then on the way home in the car, she suddenly asked her husband to pull over because she could feel something happening. Then to his amazement, she got out of the car and started walking around in the rain. This is what Jesus meant when he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. And this includes all the smaller but no less significant miracles or personal victories that only a few people will ever know about. Going back to Acts 9, Peter comes to the room where Tabitha's lying, sends the believers out of the room, gets down on his knees and prays, again demonstrating the sort of faith and humility that Jesus highlights. He commands her to get up, she wakes, and he helps her to her feet. Then he presents her to the believers alive, and this became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. These sorts of occurrences usually aren't just for the sake of those who benefit, but so that other people's faith is strengthened through their testimony. A few verses on from the end of our passage in John, where Jesus points to his works, he says again, do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, 
Even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Jesus shows that both his words and his actions are important in testifying to who he is. He doesn't expect us to believe what he says without proof. Instead, he encourages us to make the conclusion about what is true ourselves, based on the evidence provided. By his actions recorded in the Gospels, by other miracles recorded since then, such as those in Acts, by our own encounters with God, by what we hear from other people's experiences, by the creation around us, and by logic and reason. When we think about belief today, there are numerous reasons for people not believing in Jesus or the existence of God in general. For some, like the Jews in our reading, it might be underlying negative attitudes that keep them from God. But for others, it's not so much their attitude as a lack of opportunity to hear his word and tr truly experience his love. Sometimes it's not being able to fully understand that keeps us from believing or placing our trust in God. Many of the times I've come across other people's views, especially recalling RE lessons at school, where I was once the only one in my class to admit I believed in God. Or when talking to non-church friends, it's usually issues like the dynamic between science and faith or the existence of suffering that they have pointed to in explaining why they don't believe. But at the same time, some of them have said things like, I wish I could believe, as though the potential is there but there's something preventing them from fully believing. And that's the thing, there's so much potential. There's so much potential in a society, in a world where there's such a desire to find purpose, to find truth and to find belonging, to live a fulfilled life. I wish so much sometimes that I could go back to those RE lessons now with how much I've learned since then and be able to actually explain what I believe and why. But then I'm reminded that, as Jesus seems to indicate here, actions sometimes speak louder than words. Sometimes when we live out our daily lives in following Jesus, our outlook, our temperament, and our actions bring more surprising responses and unexpected opportunities without us even opening our mouths. Like in Jesus' case, it's both our words and actions that testify to God. Both are important and they work together. Finally, the other key thing that Jesus mentions in our reading is the promise of eternal life to those who believe in him. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. We've already seen that glimpse of resurrection in our reading from Acts, but this is something more lasting. It's a promise we have, not because we've earned it, but because the Good Shepherd laid down his life in order for us to receive it. Apparently, even today, shepherds in the Middle East often call out each sheep from the sheepfold by name, one by one. And Jesus calls each of us by name to this better life and brighter, more glorious future. It's a promise. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one, nothing can separate us from God's love. To remind ourselves of Jesus' promise of eternal life is to put things into perspective. It makes us consider what really matters. It reminds us how the immediate situations that we find ourselves in are impermanent, how much shorter they must seem to a God who lives in eternity. 
This is why Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Eternal life gives us an amazing hope that we can always hold on to. And we know that every day is a step closer to the perfect freedom and celebration of heaven. But Jesus' promise of life is also for here and now. He came so that we could have life and have it to the full, as he says earlier in chapter 10. I started by considering the idea of dedication in the sense of being consecrated or set apart. But the other meaning of the word dedication is to be wholly devoted to something. Its synonyms include commitment, faithfulness, and wholeheartedness. The figure of Tabitha or Dorcas in our reading from Acts is an example of someone who was dedicated to serving God and others. It says she was always doing good and helping the poor. And after she had died, the way the widow stand round crying and showing Peter the robes she'd made show how her deeds would live on even after her death. She wasn't as famous as Jesus or Peter, but the quiet and humble dedication she'd shown had clearly touched many lives. I don't know about you, but that's the sort of thing that inspires me to try and do all I can to live for God and serve the people I encounter each day. In a way, Jesus' promise of eternal life means we have nothing to lose in dedicating our lives to sharing that promise of life with others. What a great way to live, making the most of each day as it comes, following Jesus humbly, serving wholeheartedly, and enjoying each moment here and now. Amen.